not that I'm, the title does not have the word invest in it, but you'll catch on that there is an investment that we have in the kingdom of God. And I want you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 12, and verse 28. And uh, we're going to take some time to exegete this out. That means we're going to take it uh, part by part and allow us to understand exactly what it means. Hallelujah. Later on, we'll, we'll take you to the beginning of this, but let's just jump in right here in Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, just so we're all on the same page, him is Jesus. They asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when the Lord, or when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that, and no man after that, he would go home and he would write. But he had timed it just perfectly that when intermission was about to come, he would walk back to the theater and he would be there and, and when everybody would walk out, he would say, man, that's, did you enjoy it? And everybody just kind of assumed he had been there and seen it. He, 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 he knew how to talk it up with the society that was there in Copenhagen uh, around the high society, if you will, and, and all of that. And he would do this. No one knew that he really was writing some of the most scathing social commentary on the Danish society. One of his frequent targets that Soren uh, used, he, he frequently targeted the Danish church. He thought that the Danish church had gotten so far removed from the teaching of Jesus that, that he made fun of it and, and he, 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 he did not allow anyone or any part of the church to be spared his... Uh, he would uh, talk with the state, uh, uh, from what I understand there, the Danish church, the clergy there of the Danish church was paid by the state. There was no uh, separation of church and state. The government paid the preachers. And, and he, would, he would pin them and he would say that they so watered down uh, the message of Jesus that it, it became a whole other gospel. He, 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 he didn't let those that went to church escape either. He talked about how passionless they were. To illustrate this, he has a story that he told of a magical land inhabited only by ducks. And in his writings, he uses this as a parable, if you will. He says that in this land inhabited by ducks, there was a duck church. He said, one fine Lord's Day... There all the ducks dutifully waddled to the church service and there the parson duck stepped behind the pulpit and opened up his duck Bible to the place where it spoke about God's greatest gift to ducks. 
And so he began to preach with all the passion that he could. He said that the greatest gift that God has ever given ducks is our wings. For it is with wings, roared the duck preacher, we ducks can fly. With wings we can mount up with wings like eagles and soar the heavens. It's the wings that God gave us that allows us to escape the confinement of pins and fences. And we can know the utter euphoria of unfrettered freedom. And we must, as he pounded that pulpit, we must give God thanks for such a great gift as the wings he's given the ducks. In that duck church, all the ducks arose, and with their wings they beat them together, and they said amen, and they left church, and they waddled home. I wonder, and if you would go on to read it and understand the analogy, I wonder... If sometimes we in America do the same. That we can come to church and we can get excited about what's preached behind the pulpit. And as the ducks were talking about the wings that they could fly. When we leave we simply walk home unchanged. But we enjoyed a good sermon. I wonder perhaps commentating on this analogy. He said I wonder what Soren would have to say about our lack of obedience to Jesus' command. I wonder what he would have to say about the priority that we must love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That word soul, if if you'd give me just a moment to to focus simply on that word soul, that word soul in the Greek, it, it represents, according to Kenneth Wust, it represents the seat of will and purpose. It is the source of vitality in your life. And again, Kenneth Wuss said it this way, it is the motivating power that brings strength to the will. So if you had to break it down and not try to use big words, this is what your soul is. Your soul, to love God with all of one's soul means that you love God and it is a passionate pursuit. That it it, it consumes everything about you. To love God with your souls means that you love God, you do His will, you obey His word, you seek His glory, you worship His name. And all of those becomes the overwhelming passion of your life. So let's get back into Mark chapter 12. Here the religious leaders were doing everything they could to trip up Jesus. So if you were, and those of you that, that still have your Bibles open or you can get your Bibles, you can uh, go to the beginning uh, uh, or towards the beginning of, of Mark chapter 12 and you will find that Jesus gave a parable and when they got done, the people, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, those are the, um, the, the learned people of the Jewish religion, they wanted to arrest Jesus but they, they couldn't do it because uh, all the people were around him. And so they were kind of afraid of the crowd. And so uh, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians came to trap him. And they said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, we know that you are true and you don't really care about anyone's opinion and you're not swayed by appearances. But is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, they were hoping that, that he would say something like, no, you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar. 
give all the money to me or give all the money to the church. And then they would have ran to uh, the Roman government and they would have said this man is, is beginning to riot the crowd and they would have had cause to grab hold of Jesus. But it didn't happen. But if they would have said, then, then you can give your money to Caesar, then perhaps they would have been able to say, well, see, he's not really a Jew. He's following after the Romans. We ought not listen to him. But instead, Jesus looks at him and he says, well, give me a coin. Somebody fished around in their pocket and they pulled out a coin and they gave it to Jesus and he looked at it and he handed it back and he said, whose image is on the coin? They said, well, Caesar's image is on the coin, much like Abraham Lincoln is on the penny or Jefferson is on the nickel or George Washington on the quarter. That's the, I don't forget who's on the dime. Maybe no one. Who? FDR, thank you. But, but he said, Here, here's how it works. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God. What did we talk Sunday morning? We talked about the tithes and the offering. That's God's. But we still have to take care of the things that we have to do. And they couldn't really talk to him about that. So then they tried to, to get them all confused about a, uh, 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 denying the resurrection with the complicated story about a woman who had seven husbands. But, but, but really what happened was she got married and he died. And she married another one and he died. And she married another one and he died. And pretty soon, you know, it went through seven of them. And they all happened to be brothers. And they wanted to know whose wife would she be in heaven. You know, they, they thought maybe if we could say, well, there is no resurrection, then the Pharisees would get all bent out of shape. If he said there is a resurrection, then the Sadducees would get all bent out of shape. They wanted to mess him up. But instead, Jesus quoted from Moses' teaching. It's kind of hard when you use their own book, if you will. And so he quoted from Moses' teaching, and they were speechless. They could not argue. And then somebody comes. If you read in the book of Matthew, kind of in this same story, you find that Matthew doesn't call him a scribe. Matthew calls him a lawyer. The understanding is that the one that chose to confront Jesus that third time was one that had a, a, a great understanding of the Mosaic law. He, he had a lawyer's mind. He was, a, he was more than just a Pharisee. He was more than a Sadducee. He, he was a theologian of probably the highest ranks. He knew everything about Moses' law. And so he came to Jesus and he asked him, he said, Rabbi, teacher, what is the greatest law of God? Now, you have to understand that Jesus came, uh, he, he'd already said in his ministry that he did not come to do away with the law, he came to fulfill the law. Just to help you out on the law, there, there's a, an evangelist by the name of Fred Brown, and he gives three examples of what the law is. How many of you have read or you've heard me preach on Romans chapter 7? When it talks about the law, that the law can't make me holy, that the law can't make me do good. Here's a great way to understand it. Fred Brown uses three images. The first one he says, the law is like a dentist's little mirror. 
you've ever been to the dentist, they stick that little mirror on a stick. What it does is with that mirror, it can see behind. It can detect cavities. But that mirror does not drill. That mirror does not fill the cavities. That mirror cannot clean. It merely only shows the decayed or other abnormal areas. It simply identifies the problem. That's what the law does. The law is like a flashlight. If you've ever been at home and the lights go out, if you've ever, you know, you, you hopefully, well, now we all have it on our phone, you know, but, but you have to go try to find you a flashlight and you, you get a flashlight and you go, first thing we do is we go down to the, the, the electrical box, the fuse box, the breaker box, and you try to find it. If you had a flashlight or even on your phone, you're going you're gonna to try to find the problem. Let's say that a breaker was blown. Just because you're shining a flashlight on the blown breaker doesn't flip the breaker. It only illuminates the problem. The third reason or, or, or the third image that Brown uses to liken the law, as he said, it's, a, it's like a plumb line. A plumb line is a, a string that has a weight on the end and it's usually a, a, a cylinder and kind of a pointed weight. And what it is, is is you can hold that up or you can tie it somewhere and gravity will will make it, it, it stand still. And if gravity does its work and it's not moving, you know that that is perfectly straight. And so long before they had laser levels and long before they had all the things that we have, they would use that plumb string and they would, that plumb line, and they would look to see if what they are doing is true to vertical. And, and here's the thing. It, when, when you can't tell now because uh, those of you that were here when we rebuilt this church or, or, or rebuilt the inside of this church, this is actually a double wall right now. Because one day when we had the old building, I was I was walking back to my office, and I I happened to do this, and I looked down this wall, and I realized this wall had a foot curve to it. Well, if I'd have had a plumb line, I could have put it up there. In fact, we did that. Some of you that were here, we, we, we put it up. And, man, you could see how the top of the wall bowed out. But guess what? That level, Brother Don, it says that wall's out, but it doesn't fix it. You have to do something. The law identified a problem. The law points out our sin. The law says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the law does not provide a solution. And so they were trying to, to, to trip up Jesus. They had asked him all these questions. And now they come and they say, what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these, they were, they were learned men of the Jewish faith. The Jewish, uh, at that point and, and even now, they considered the whole of what we have, the Old Testament. That was their Bible. All the way from Genesis, all the way to Malachi and, and Zechariah, they considered it. But most of them would have told you that the most important part of the Bible or the Torah or the, or the law was what Moses wrote, those first five books. They said that Moses was the supreme 
figure in Scripture, human figure in Scripture. He, he got the law from God on top of that mountain. In fact, they would tell you that when they would sit to teach, they said, we're going to sit in Moses' seat. What they were saying was, we are going to use Mo- the law that God gave Moses. And so, here it is. Now, as I said earlier, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to throw away the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to show you that the law tells you you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I've come to provide you the answer to how you can be free from sin. That's salvation. But here's the problem. There's a lot of things. How many of you know your Ten Commandments? Or at least eight of them or seven of them. However many you think you can remember. Thou shalt not lie. Honor your father and mother. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Shall not covet. Shall not lay, you know, fornicate or idolatry, all of that. Well, the rabbis, those that were that 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 studied the law, they had come up with, and they began to read it and look at it, and they had decided that there are 613 separate letters in the Ten Commandments. And so they began to look, and then they looked in the book of Numbers, and they said there were 613 laws in the Pentateuch. And they began to kind of focus on that. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you kind of how they they would look at that. But then they said, you know what? We, we've kind of figured out the Bible says, so... so uh, they, they, they took those 613 laws and they said there were 248 affirmative laws, one for every part of the human body, they said. And then there was 365 negative laws, thou shalt not type laws. And they said that was possibly one for each day of the year. And then they divided the law into heavy law and light law. Heavy law was an absolute binding law while a light law had a little bit of leeway in it. And, and then they even took it farther than that. So the Ten Commandments says, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So then the Jews come along and these rabbis come along and they say you can't even uh, 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 start a fire to boil water. And you can't even turn on, I'm talking about now in the modern times, you can't even flip a light switch to get light on in your house. And they begin to come up with more laws. Until the law became so heavy that they could not follow their own law. I mean, just to be political for a moment, it's kind of like our politicians. They're real good at making laws that they want you to follow, me to follow. They don't always follow them themselves. And so it was that here they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest law of all? See, some thought that the greatest law of all was circumcision. It was the covenant, binding uh, of the covenant that God gave Abraham. And so there was a bunch that said that's the greatest law. Others said the greatest law is honoring the Sabbath. While other ones had other ideas, they said that it was the law of the sacrifices. Or, and, and so you had all of these different groups of people. And what they wanted to, Jesus to do was choose one. Because if he could choose one, it would get all the others mad at Jesus. And then they could gang up on Jesus and they could overthrow him. What's the greatest law? They hoped somehow 
Jesus would contradict what Moses said. And if you contradicted what Moses said, then according to the Jews, you'd be guilty of heresy and and even be put to death. They wanted to turn it. And Jesus looks at them and he says, this is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is, hear, O Israel, the, uh, the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength this is the first commandment it doesn't make a lot of sense perhaps to us it sounds good it preaches good but those that he was talking to those those lawyers those scribes those Pharisees instantly they were transmitted back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 which is the exact quote that Jesus used are they, are they had to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. Moses is teaching, And if from thence you seek the Lord thy God, you shall find them if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Or they had to remember the words of Moses from God. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 13. And it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently to my commandments which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So I took a long time to get it started but let me break this down because it it, it deals with the understanding that we are right now of investing. Living for God is more than just saying you're a Christian. Living for God is more than putting that that funny looking fish symbol on the back of your hatchback. It's more than listening to Joy FM and sticking that sticker on it. It's more than saying I pay my tithes to a church. It's more than saying I'm a member of this church. It's more than that. You must love the Lord. In the Bible there are various forms of love but this word here that you begin to translate out it's translated and, and, and when you get to the Greek we know it as agape love. It's a, it's a love that is willful. It's a love that is determined. It's a love that is a dedication to someone or something. And while love is always an emotion this is deeper than an emotion. It is a mindset. If you've sat in the premarital counseling that I've, I give when couples are wanting to get married, if, if you've been in some of the sermons that I've talked about uh, 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 marriage and things like that, I will ask people, what is love? Most often people will answer love is an emotion. Or those that know some secular songs, they'll say love is a verb. But love is not an emotion. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. If love is an emotion, then there is no chance that I could ever emotionally love the one that has despitefully used me. If somebody came and punched you in the face, your emotions don't run to the loving and dovey and ooey and gooey and sappy love. Instead, your emotions begins to rise and you look for a baseball bat to smash him upside the head. Right? Because love is not an emotion. Love is a, uh, uh, it is a, a thought. It's a mindset. It's a choice. By the way, if you are one of those that if someone hits you upside the face and your emotions ran to that lovey, gushy stuff, 
you're a sadomasochist and you need professional counseling in which there are several counselors here that can help you in your twisted mindset. Love is a choice. Which is why the song, Brother Lowe, that you opened up our, our service with, I will bless the Lord. Blessed be your name in the good and the bad. Blessed be your name when I'm on top of the mountain or I'm slogging through a valley. Bless your name when I lose someone in my life. Bless your name when I gain something in my life. The first thing I want to tell you is that if you're going to invest yourself in the kingdom of God, you have to learn to love him regardless of the circumstances love the Lord love the Lord love the Lord and love him here it goes with all your heart your heart they would say in the Greek and and in their understanding they said your heart not that muscle that pumps your blood per se but the heart was the center of a person it was the thoughts and the feelings and it is the emotional There are a lot of people that have learned to love the Lord with everything but their emotions. That's why it's okay to come to church and smile and be happy. It's all right to come to church and let tears run down your face. It's all right to come to church and get a little excited in the presence of God. You need to learn to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. You've got to love the Lord thy God with all of your soul. That motivating power that brings strength to the will. You've got to love the Lord your God and make it a a, a a willpower type thing. I will love the Lord. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's because if I was to be brutally honest with you, there are some days that I didn't feel like loving the Lord. There were some times that I didn't want to love the Lord. But I had made up my mind as a child and as a young person and it's continuing to grow that I can tell you now I have made up my mind. I have a will. I will serve the Lord. And there's nothing you can say that's going to change it. There's nothing you can do that's going to change it. If this church ran away and disappeared, I'm still going to love the Lord. If If persecution hits the American church and they say if you profess Christianity will put you to death, I have already made that decision now. I will serve the Lord. Why? Because there is a will in me, a purpose in me. I'm going to love the Lord with all of my purpose and with all of my will. I'm going to love the Lord with all my emotions. I'm going to love the Lord with all of my purpose. And I'm going to love the Lord with all of my mind. My mind, that's the knowledge. That's the understanding. That's the mental The more I read God's word, the more my mind begins to comprehend who he is. The more I come to church and somebody preaches to me, the more I grasp what it is. I've made up my mind to serve him. And I'm going to serve him with all my strength. 
That's the forceful, forcefulness. That's the power. And so if you put it all together, let me tell you, you don't love the God with just one or two or three of those. It is not a choose your own adventure. It's not choose uh, you know, what you want. You cannot separate those components. You cannot love him in just two ways. You can't really love him in just three ways. If you're going to love God, true love has to incorporate each one of those natures, and that's how we get the word or the understanding of passion. There's a pastor by the name of Joel Smith, and he wrote about this. It's a personal story that he wrote, and so let me give you his own words. He said a few months after Laura, his wife, and, and, and he was married, they bought Stanley, a baby green iguana. They purchased a cage and a hot rock and an iguana instructional book and everything that lizard would need for a happy, healthy life. And, and the lady at the pet store just simply said all you had to do was feed him some fresh fruit and some vegetables and he'd be fine. I mean, how hard is it to raise a lizard? So after a few months, Joel Smith said we noticed that this iguana hadn't grown at all. They didn't know much about iguanas, even though they had the book, but there's just not a lot about iguanas, and so they thought maybe iguanas developed slowly. A year went by, and they realized that, that his head had gotten big, but his body was pretty puny. Joel said Stanley became a pathetic, irritable reptile, even more irritable than normal. At some point, they had somebody over that had had iguanas. And they begin to look at that and they said, you know what, your iguana looks really pathetic. And they begin to question what was going on. They question the feeding procedures. They question everything. And this lady pinpointed the problem. They said that iguanas require a certain amount of sunlight in order to digest their food properly. And if they don't get sunlight, then they will, will, will become puny and pathetic. They will, they will die eventually. And, and if you don't have direct sunlight, you have to give them a special vitamin supplement to survive. They went back and read that book they had bought at the beginning that they hadn't read all the way through, I guess, and realized that she was right. So they made some adjustments and they started adding a supplement. And in no time, that, that iguana, that lizard, got bigger. His attitude didn't improve, they said, but they later found out that Stanley was really a female, and he said that explained it all. That's him, not me. I didn't say that. That was Joel Smith. Take it up with him. <laughs> you, you say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, well, Joel Smith, he's a pastor, so you, you know how pastors are, myself included. You can't just have a story unless you put a spiritual uh, understanding to it. Pastor Joel Smith said this, this is the problem in our church today. We've developed, uh, we've developed followers of Christ that have not followed him completely. See, if you fail in just one of those four aspects, you have not loved him completely. And so it is, spiritually speaking, if we're not careful... We can become a church full of people with gigantic heads full of knowledge but little itty bitty bodies that are weak and frail. We can know the word of God but never do anything about the word of God. 
We, 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 can, we can come to church and we can absorb all the preaching, but we never take it outside these walls. We never tell anybody about our testimony. We never reach the unchurched people with this gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't make a ripple on a world that's lost and dying for hell. Why? Because we're passionless. Because we have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. I tell you today, you cannot love God with only your intellect. That produces a head knowledge. And I would tell you today, just to know doesn't mean anything. For the Bible says the demons know and they tremble, but they're not saved. You cannot love him just by your emotions because again, the devil reacts emotionally. They tremble, they shudder, they fall at Jesus' feet. Those are emotions, but that is not saved. Love. Of God cannot be shown in just some big show of strength because that kind of love burns out quick when the going gets tough. It's what happens when you get in a revival or young people, you go to Youth Congress and I'm thankful that you have kept the fire from Youth Congress uh, all the way till today and I'm thankful for that but I have seen my share of people that go to a big event and they'll get on fire for God but it never lasts. It's because they're only loving Him with their strength and not their mind. You have to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now, I can't, I mean, I guess some of you, I, I know enough or I've seen something in your life or, or something where I could, I could come to you and I could identify. I, I could say, you know, Brother Matthew, you're, you're loving God with your strength, but you're not loving emotions. I guess for some of you, I might could do that. But it probably wouldn't help you as much as it would if you just do an internal investigation and ask yourself, do I love him completely? And only you can truly answer that question. Only you can answer, have I invested myself in him completely? Do I love him with all my heart? Do I love him with all my mind? Do I love him with all my soul? And do I love him with all of my strength? So today, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Today, I, I'm going to give you these four reasons and I'm going to give you some verses that would help guide your prayer so that you can learn to love him completely. If it's your heart, if you're just having problems giving him your heart you understand it you have it up here you have knowledge of it one of the saddest things and, and, and let me give you the, the ultimate of this example I'm most, I, I, my goodness I, please I hope none of you are here I'm giving you the most craziest off the wall but yet very true example I could ever give I have met people that know this Bible frontwards and backwards. It's the old story of sitting on the bar stool by the drunk who's slobbering drunk and quotes the Bible in his drunken stupor. Knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. I've had people look at me and say, say, Pastor, I know what the Bible says. I know what you say is true. I just don't want to change. That's loving the Lord, I, I guess, with your mind, but nothing else. 
You see the, the danger of that? Now, now, most of us would never get that far, but, but, but that's one that says, I love his word. I just don't really care about what it says. I can quote it. I mean, there's atheists out there. There's agnostics out there that have a theology degree. They've went to school to understand the Bible. They know it. I just don't care. But David said it best. If you're having a problem in worshiping God and loving God with your heart, he said in Psalms 51 and chapter, or chapter 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. David said, God, let my heart reconnect to you. Let my heart, let my emotions reconnect to you. That joy that I'm missing, that spirit that I'm missing, I miss, I long to be in your presence. Don't take it away from me. Create in me a clean heart. If that's your prayer tonight, if that, or, or maybe that needs to be your prayer tonight. If you're happy, but I, I know probably that one most likely is the least of our concern. I would say that most of us have got the emotional part down. But maybe it's your soul the will and the purpose of your life. I know we usually use soul to talk about the thing that goes to heaven and the thing that God breathed into us, but let me use it in this understanding. Your soul, it is your will, it is the purpose of your life, which is why Jesus spent so much time saying things like Matthew chapter 10. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy for me. He that finds his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. The message, which I don't, I don't use that, that version of the Bible very often. I, I do think there's some, some, some hermeneutical problems with that. But, but every once in a while it, it says it pretty succinctly. The message version of the Bible says this. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll both find yourself and you will find me. What are you living for? I don't think any, I don't know any other way to talk about passion than that. What do you, if I had to take your life, what is the sum of your life building for? I'm glad you go to school glad you have a job. I'm glad you've got a career. I'm glad you've got a family. I'm glad you've got a relationship. I'm glad you've got hobbies. All of those are important and I have all of those myself. But if that's what you're living for, then you're not loving him with your soul. To love him with your soul says, seek first the kingdom of God. Then let everything else fall into place. I think you're finding how all these verses and all these sermons over the last three weeks or so fit together. Is God first, or do you give Him the leftovers? I'm telling you today, take up His cross, follow after Him. Be a Peter who left the nets there on the boat and said, I'll follow you. Later on, Peter got to go fishing. Peter got to walk on the water. Peter got to catch the biggest and best fish of his life after he followed Christ. What about your minds, your intellect, your mindset? 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, and here's the key, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let God change your mindset. They tell me that you'll never develop a habit unless you first change your mindset. You're never going to follow a New Year's resolution until you change your mindset. You've got to let your mind be transformed and your strength. Sometimes we love God. We just don't pursue it. There's a colloquial term that our young people use a lot. I have no idea where it came from. Zane walked in today from school and he acted all sad and depressed. And I said, how did your day go? And he uses this word, meh. Then he went on to tell me something horrible and I about got all mad. And then he said, i just kidding, Dad. And he told me the good news and I was a whole lot happier. But it's that, meh. I'd like to serve God, but I just don't have any strength. It's kind of like a lazy Christian. I, I was riding with a police officer one day, with the canine officer. We pulled over a, a, a person, had some drugs in their car. They had some hash, a derivative of the marijuana and stuff. And it was some good stuff, they said. Some very potent stuff. Much better than what you normally get. And so the officer was talking to him and he said, how, 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 how potent is that? And the guy knew he was caught, so he's just telling, he's spilling it all. He said, well, I can take one hit off of this and I'll sit for four to five hours on my couch with the remote right there in my mind debating whether or not I want to pick up the remote. Now we, we look at that and we say, man, that's a stone person. But to be honest, I've seen some, some Christians that have been intoxicated by other things, intoxicated by the world, intoxicated. They become stoned, if you will, that they just don't know if they want to put forth the effort required to love God. They, they love God. They, they, they know they should love God. Their mind is there. They just don't want to put forth if that's you today, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, but if you'll just wait on the Lord, that wait does not mean, you know, bide your time and twiddle your thumbs and be in a waiting room. That word wait means to serve the Lord, to kind of get involved a little bit. It, 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 it gives you the mindset of a waiter, if you will, that comes to the table and says, how can I help you? If you would just begin to wait upon the Lord, you shall renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Would you let yourself love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength would you lift your hands right now and would you begin to pour out your heart to him and on a Wednesday night would you begin to ask the Lord to examine you where do you lack the love where are you deficient right now